This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. Normally on this day, we have Mary and Jennifer doing some training tips for you, and we will have that, but it will be one of one of the older ones we're going to give you a best of today. Because we are, as you know, we are traveling, and we're probably somewhere in North Carolina at this point. Visiting you guys, visiting our listeners, and having a good time and bringing that to you. Check out our Horses in the Morning Facebook page, or the auditors will find uh, posts in there and Facebook Lives and things. So we hope that uh, you can follow along on our adventures on this test trip for our roadshow that's coming up later in the year. In the meantime, I'm going to bring you a episode that was recorded in January of 2018. It's on Cowboy Dressage Liberty. Uh, it's also They also talked about uh, hard-mouthed horses and other tips as well. So I think you're going to enjoy this. Take a listen to Mary and Jennifer and their training tips. Mary will be back live uh, next month. In the meantime, tomorrow we'll be coming to you from the Carolinas. Look for a brand new episode then. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for episode 1850. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in-depth than just riding a horse. Knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Yeah, do you get little goosebumps every time you hear that little part with Mary against Miller? <laughs> yeah, that that's actually my alarm clock in the morning. That's my that's what <laughs> yeah, that's that is what your ringtone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They can wake up successful. I love it. Well, back, welcome back, Mary Kitts Miller. Miller, for those of you who are not in the know, Mary is here the second Thursday of every month. And welcome back on Thursday, January 11th, 11th 2018, everybody. Um, thanks for coming back. It's just you and I today. Which is totally fine. Yeah, just, just you and I. It's fine. It, it stresses me out just a little bit. But Glenn has uh, run off to Welly World. He's down in Wellington right now, hanging out with Reese Kofler Stanfield, co-host over at the Dressage Show, and Emily Thompson, co-host of the monthly jumping episode. So he's down there rubbing elbows with um, the movers and shakers in the hunter, jumper, and dressage worlds. And we'll be back again on Monday. So it's just you and I talking about horse training, horses, donkeys, mules, dogs, cats, whatever it happens to be. So it's going to be a totally geeky show. Awesome. Awesome. By geeky, I assume it means we'll also be talking about Star Wars and other things. Maybe. I don't know. It's been a while since the movie came out. I don't know if I've gushed about it yet on air. Maybe I did. I can't remember. Oh, yes, I did during the all host episode. So 
is uh, see now you've gone down that that path you've got me on a star wars so this star wars movie where chronologically does it happen in the canon so it would be the latest one chronologically as well as like in real life chronologically uh so um it's after the the prequels it obviously um it's i can't remember it's what after episode jar jar it is. That's my oh, benchmark. Yeah. It's after Jar Jar. It's pre and post Jar Jar is how we measure, okay. you know, the world. But um, yeah, so it's it's actually the latest one in the storyline as well, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm pretty sure I'm not. Um, and I was really surprised. It's the it's one of the uh, the Star Wars movies that it's kind of weird thing that all the critics loved it. Uh, the critic score on aggregate sites like Rotten Tomatoes is very, very high. And the audience score, not so much. Audiences are really torn. But I think anytime you mess with Star Wars, people are going to be mad. I mean, there's still people who are fuming that Disney is running Star Wars. So well, you're yeah, just not yeah. everybody happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, uh, I, you know, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. I was ready to dislike it. But I yeah. pl- they actually got some plot twists and some character development, which were, particularly the plot twists, were unexpected because Star Wars plots tend to be pretty straightforward. Um, and they got some char- interesting character development in there. Again, in my opinion, not typical of Star Wars movies. Things are pretty flat. It's more of just, it's spaghetti western in space. So I was very pleased about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say spaghetti western in space because it does, you know, the original Star Wars does take its nod from from those types of movies. Also from, uh, um, oh gosh, who is the director? A Japanese film, I think it's called Seven Samurai. It's yes, got nearly Seven the Samurai. same. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but this one, yeah, what I liked about it, um, I think they shook things up. So when they came, when they started filming the Star Wars movies again, they brought Star Wars back. They, uh, um, J.J. Abrams, I believe, was the director of the last one. Um, and he's one of those guys, he's very good at heaping on the nostalgia. He also directed when they re- revamped uh, Star Trek. And he was very good at, like, you expect this here in a Star Wars movie or you expect this in a Star Trek movie. Here you go. I'm giving it all to you. And so it was great. But then you're kind of like, well, this sort of followed the plot of a bunch of the other ones. And, and Western. The plots are the same for everyone. Yeah. yeah. This one, I thought, I thought it changed up what needed to be changed up, yeah, and cinematically, like the throne room scene is really awesome, and I just, I thought it was really well done. But yeah, people are gonna, they're, they're gonna like it or hate it. They're, they're gonna like it or hate it. There we go. So this is a horses in the morning show. So we will, oh yes, wrap yes. back around horses. Let me just point <laughs> out that at this particular moment, Glory, our greyhound, who always sits under the desk during the horses in the morning show, is licking the CPU unit on the floor right now. Yeah, don't know why a dog would do that, but that's what she's doing. Coming up on today's show, we have training tips aplenty. We're going to answer some listener questions. We're even going to have a listener call in. Mo's going to give us a call into the show, or actually we're going to call her, and she's going to come live on the air to get her question answered. And then after the break, Christy Rains, who is a Pirelli professional, is going to stop by and talk to us a little bit about Cowboy Dressage Liberty class. Don't know what that's going to be. Maybe your horse is going to wear... A red, white, and blue costume? Don't know. And then after that, more listener questions. And I did not prepare 
a Daily Winnie, and I don't think we typically do Daily Winnies on the show. So in lieu of Daily Winnies, here's what we're going to do. Um, I went fox hunting yesterday, and we were t- chatting a little bit about that before the show started. And a golden nugget came out of your mouth. You took your mule fox hunting once. Please explain. Um. Yeah. So it's been so long, but um, a girl who was uh, staying at my ranch and riding horses, she had an in with a fox hunting club, and at the time, my most trusty steed was my mule Emmett. So I thought, well, I'll just take Emmett. He's great, and he likes to jump, and he's really wonderful with all that. And I had no proper English gear. I used to have all of that at one time. And so I patchworked a bunch of stuff together. I had like a Windtech dressage saddle. Dressage saddle? Yeah, for jumping, which is just, you know. But see, I normally ride Western, so it's all the same to me. It doesn't have a horn. It's an English saddle. Um, So so I threw that on the mule, and I had this kind of weird sweater vest and these I had half chaps and paddock boots that didn't quite fit. And oh, no. It was just, yeah, I, I looked like a doofus. Did you um, look like you got dressed at Goodwill for horse people? Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's okay. Pretty much. I looked like uh, Brenda Breyer, you know, like one of those little <laughs> dolls. It looks like she's supposed to be a proper English rider. That's what I look like. And uh, so, so I showed up and what I did not think about because Emmett is the consummate gentleman. He's he's such a good mule and he's won everything there is. He beats horses and horses all the time. And you know, who doesn't love Emmett? But when I showed up, they were like, um, he's not gonna attack our hounds, is he? Because they're gonna like run up and down the trail and they might go in and out of horses' legs and things. And I had to think about it because even though Emmett's wonderful, mules and dogs just don't mix they can coexist but they'll never be buddies and in fact i didn't know that oh yeah in fact if you know if you show up to a place and there's mules in the pasture you keep your dog on a leash because some of them will murder and mules and donkeys both uh that's why they're such great guardian animals i don't have a coyote (laughs) yeah I do not have a coyote problem. I do not have a hog problem like places around me because I have mules and donkeys. So I had a, I, I was like, yeah, he'll be fine. But really I'm thinking, oh my God, is he going to, is he going to kill a dog? And he, he was, yeah, yeah. And I knew he wasn't going to do that, but I was worried about a swift kicker, you know? Um, and, and that, I, I don't know much about hunt etiquette, but I'm pretty sure that's uh, immediate dismissal. And yes. Yeah, <laughs> pretty sure they frown upon that. Will that will get you banned. Yeah. yeah, but no, he was totally great. Um, first jump that I took uh, on this hunt, I fell right off. Oh, no! Uh, yeah! <laughs> it was, they had this, uh, they built this like little wooden coop over this barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. And Emmett, you know, it was very, uh, it had a lot of depth to it. So Emmett took it huge. And I, um, you know, the dressage saddle magically wasn't really suited for jumping. And I ended up hanging up, hanging on his neck and he did not like that. So he, you know, just tossed me right off and I had to go chasing my mule through the pasture on my very first hunt. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. Good times. Now, did you have to, uh, 
when when you came on, were you the first? Because this is how fox hunting goes. If for those not familiar, someone always falls off. That's what happens in fox hunting. Um, were you the um, first of the day to fall off? I was the first and only, if I'm not mistaken. Oh no, that sucks. Yeah. They're safety yeah. In numbers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So other than that, it was pretty tame. I, I don't remember much else about it. Uh, we didn't bring down any foxes. I mean, it's North Texas, so uh, Do I don't know exactly. Hunt fox or coyote out there? Most likely coyote. Yeah. It was more like a, a, a glamorous trail ride. Well, if you don't get on a line, in other words, the hounds do not find the scent of a fox that has been cruising through to chase, chase after, it is pretty much a glorified trail ride. It's, it, it's, very, it's polarized because you're either strolling along at a gentle walk or comfortable trot, or you are going uh, full tilt, hell-bent for election through the underbrush, and there's not a lot of in-between. Yeah, we, I never remember us going Mach 10 after anything. I think it was just kind of moseying around and then me falling off. <laughs> well, I had a a, uh, a slightly less dramatic time fox hunting yesterday. So uh, I took Nigel out. It's his third time out with the hounds. And I learned something. Every time I take Nigel fox hunting, I get to learn something. And I all the way home, it was an hour and four. 40 minutes drive. So I had plenty of time to mull it over on the way back. Takeaways is Nigel has figured out the difference between going away to a trail ride and going away to a fox hunt. Ooh. Because the trail ride has no hound truck. And when we got there, he was reasonably cool by thoroughbred standards and things were going well. And then the hound truck showed up. And the hound truck is just a giant, uh, stock trailer jam-packed full of woofing dogs and they smell because they're outdoor dogs so as soon as he got a whiff of those guys things changed a little bit and i had to go put on more sticky spray (laughs) good plan good plan and we were out for three and a half hours or thereabouts like your day did not get a, a scent pretty much till the end of the day and then they finally got on a line and we took off Hey, bent for election. But until that point, we were pretty much walking through uh, underbrush that was so heavy you couldn't see the ground you were walking on. You literally could not see anything through the brush. It was so thick. So we were struggling through that at a jig because we didn't tr- we didn't walk the whole time. It was just too much excitement for him. But uh, we finally got on a line for just a few minutes at the very end of the day and took off at a mad run. And it was very interesting because all day long, Nigel was just wound up tight as a piano string with his head tucked between his knees, which is what he does. Um, And we were nose to tail single file because of the terrain we were on. After we had a good run, which at which point I did get to test my braking system and it, it works reasonably well. uh, We really moved along at quite a good pace, which is the first time I've had the opportunity to do that with him. The other Uh hunts I've gone on, it's a sedate gallop at best when we get, moving along and this time we really flew along and stretch he really stretched out and he actually got his head up from between his knees yay it's the first time I, it was the first time i'd ever seen my horse's head when he was galloping <laughs> oh lovely so so when he puts his head between his knees is he is he like crow hopping or he just kind of buries his head down well it starts with crow hopping but then he just keeps it there interesting yeah and he's he he came with canter issues 
Uh-huh. He gets sticky stifles and he he's learned to compensate in certain ways. And he's gotten okay. better and better and better. And I th- it was weird because after he really stretched out and galloped proper with his with his ears above his withers, the he he his, he got straighter, he got smoother. There was less lead switching because he's a chronic lead switcher. Uh, he gets mm-hmm. he gets on the left lead, then he's halfway in between, and then he's on the left lead, and then he's halfway in between, then he's on the right, back and forth, and back and forth, and it all got smoother and softer and straighter and more normal, but uh, throughout the day. So that was very interesting and. This, this is going to kind of lead us into our training tip of the day. He goes, when I fox on him, in a single-jointed pelham. And uh-huh. I basically ride on the snaffle rein. The pelham rein is there for emergencies and braking. Uh-huh. Uh, because there's certain etiquette that needs to be followed. And when you need to stop, you need to stop in the fox hunting world. But I also yeah. discovered yesterday that if I just very quickly and suddenly close that pelham rain on him it gets his head out of his chest because once his head's in his chest there's no slowing down it's just he plows right through it and i was able to refine that so i could keep his head up, out from his chest and then when he galloped on and he would get he'd bury it down and bury it down and bury it down and this is unfamiliar territory and these are not trails this is open countryside there's going to be a chuck hole, a tree, a root, whatever in your way. You never know. So going along with your head between your knees is a little bit dangerous. So I got him. I figured out that I could get that pelham rain, just a little tiny tug because normally it's flapping in the breeze. But I could just give it a little tiny tug and he'd go, ooh, and he'd get his head up so his ears were above his withers. And after I did that about half a dozen times when we were really running flat out, he stayed up. And I could just let go of the pelham rain and we just cruise along on a light contact. And it was like... The, the angels sang. So talk to, you hear all the time, especially in fox hunting, the horse with the hard mouth, and you want to get more bit, more bit, more bit, especially with thoroughbreds. And I've been very, very careful to not put too much, much bit on them because I know what happens when you put too much bit on them. So talk to me a little bit about the whole concept of hard mouth, what we think it is, what it really is. Um, yeah, that was a good segue. So, um, this is something that I, I heard a lot of um, when I was uh, learning how to ride, and, and I, I had a mare who was very similar, very strong, and very hot, and just I wasn't always sure I had brakes. And you always heard the term, oh, your horse has a hard mouth, your horse has a hard mouth. And then when I started training horses, people would ask, what kind of bit do I need for a hard mouth horse? And I'd kind of forgotten the term after uh, for a while, and then in on Facebook the other day, good old Facebook land, um, someone had posted, what kind of bit do I need for a hard mouth horse? And people were posting pictures of various, I think it was an uh, OTTB, I think it was a thoroughbred, but I, I think they were barrel racing. And so she specifically was like, he he drops his shoulder around the barrel, He's a hard, he's got a hard mouth. And so people were posting pictures of various gags and um uh, a lot of leverage bits, and I use this and the, that and the other, and I lift the inside ring with this bit and whatever. And, um, you know, I got to thinking about that, and I realized that, you know, to me, I- I've never met a horse that has a mouth made of concrete. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, anatomically, their mouths are all the same. It's gums and teeth and tongue and whatever. Um, and... Yeah, you do have horses that feel strong in the mouth, but 
if a horse has a strong mouth, they have a quote unquote hard mouth or they're stiff necked or they drop their shoulder. It's usually a, it's not the problem. It's a symptom of a larger problem. So changing the hardware doesn't always fix that. Now I'm not one to fall into dogma of, I, I did that for a while where all the natural horsemanship trainers are like, Oh, you can get everything done in a snaffle and you only need a snaffle and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, that's true. You can do everything in a snaffle. You don't have to, you, don't, you know, but don't you might not want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't cave to the pressure that because so-and-so magical trainer uses snaffle, that you have to ride in a snaffle. You know, I think um, I, I use a uh, a small curb, which is similar to a Pelham, on a lot of horses um, because uh, you do get, I do like a little bit of leverage on a horse. Once they've had some basic training, it really helps out quite a bit. But, but the point is, if I have a horse that their head's in the air, they're not listening to the bit, uh, I can't, you know, they're stiffer on the right than they are on the left, blah, 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 blah. I even saw this, it was kind of genius yet stupid. I saw this bit once. It was a snaffle bit and this guy had invented it. And on one side of the mouthpiece, it was smooth. And on the other, it had a really sharp twist to it. And it was for a horse that was like stiff on one side. Mm. And you could, Yeah. And you could flip it around and like, so if they're on the left side, you would flip it around. And I kind of almost admired whoever invented it. I'm like, well, that's, that's a creative way to try and solve the problem. It's total bull. But it's but creative. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, I admire the ingenuity. Um, so what, what is causing your horse to have a hard mouth? So the problem could be in their mind. So like with your horse, he head. sees. Yeah. yeah, he's well, and he sees the he sees the trailer full of dogs, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna be crazy stiff today, because <laughs> there's there, we're I know where we are. We're at home. We're gonna go really fast. We're I'm anticipating go fast. That's that. exactly that's all he yeah. has in his brain right now. We're gonna go really fast, yeah. and I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. So there's anxiety or excitement. Um, there's also just flat out fear yep. or misunderstanding, and all of those problems are not solved. 100% with the bit. Uh, the bit can help you, but it's not going to fix. Um, so you have to get in your horse's head and figure out yeah. what you have to that's do. The, that's a really common one with OTTBs where a hard mouth thoroughbred off the track, I would say easily 50% of the time it's in the brain cells and they're so hard to fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to get out the you got to get out the the psychiatrist couch yes, and get the couch out and talk and a to them about their life, what their mother did, you know, their mom issues and uh you, so so that takes a lot of uh creativity and diligence and a lot of work, but it's not all the bit. That's you know, the bit's not going to fix that issue. So sometimes it could be in the mind. Um and then most of the time it's also, if not solely, a, a foot problem in the feet. So I've heard this kind of repeated for years and years and years by a lot of Western guys is you got to get to their feet. You have to control their feet. Get to their feet. If you get to their feet, you have the horse. The horse's mind is in their feet. And so that, that might sound really strange. Like, what, put better shoes on them? What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> not that literal, people. Not that literal. Yeah. <laughs> When I pick up on a horse's mouth, when I pick up my rein, it's 
I don't want that signal to end at their mouth. It's got to go from their mouth, through their jaw, down their neck, through their shoulder, down their leg, and to that foot. So it should be a direct line. If I pick up my right rein, it should be able to talk to that right foot and pick up that right foot and put it down in the manner in which I would like. If I can get that to happen, then the mouth their horse has a, will have a soft mouth. They'll have a soft mouth. They'll relax. They'll lower their pole to a more natural uh, place for them. They won't be so stiff in their neck and body. And so how do I get that to happen? Well, it's just a lot of very simple uh, moving the horse's body parts in different ways. And I practice that a ton at home, whether it's on the ground or under saddle. I want to See if I can create a signal to my horse. If I'm th- if I'm thinking about your left front foot and I want to pick it up and place it down over here, I should be able to do that. So there's a lot of exercises I do for that. Can't go into them all, obviously, here. But um, if a horse is stiff through their feet, meaning you can't talk to their feet, their feet are in the ground like tree trunks. Then they're going to (laughs) be stiff everywhere else. Yeah. Then you'll get that feeling of that stiff, hard mouth. Yeah. So you have to fix the feet and you can do it. You can start with groundwork, getting that to happen. If I can't on the ground get my horse to put his feet where I want him to go, then it's not going to happen when I ride. You know, and that sounds like such a stretch for those of us who come from a background, uh, eventers, dressage riders, uh, show jumpers that English and I, don't, I can't speak to the Western side because I don't have that much experience there. Groundwork is not a really big deal. You, you teach the horse to lunge, you know, big deal. And not until recently, until I started doing that kind of work, do I see that transfer. And to use a recent example, yesterday, as we were heading out, the first half hour or so was on a wide dirt road. So the horses were moving along in single file, but didn't have to, right? They were moving on single file because we told them to. And Nigel wanted to tailgate the guy in front of him because he was just amped up and he wanted to pass everyone. And he was about 20th in line. And something that was different this time versus the last time I had him out fox hunting, which was about a month and a half ago, we have been doing a lot more groundwork. And then as the groundwork got better, doing more lateral work so that yes we can jig but we're going to find a happy medium we're not going to have a fight i'm not going to pull on your mouth instead of jibbing jigging straight up into the tail end of the guy in front of you we're going to jig at a 45 degree angle which requires him to jig a lot slower (laughs) so that he's not crashing into the horse in front of him so i use that okay talk to his feet part i can control his feet whereas a month and a half ago jigging sideways was not an option if he didn't get to jig wherever he wanted to there was rearing and pitching so i obviously didn't have the control there so by starting the groundwork on the ground i was teaching him to um give his haunches give his shoulders in other words turn on the haunches turn on the forehand from the ground and on long lines got really good at that and he said oh that's not so bad i don't mind doing it then we transferred that to the saddle Gives me more control. Has nothing to do with the bit. I was riding on the same snaffle rein, despite the fact that there's a pelham in his mouth. The the pelham rein, again, is flapping in the breeze. Riding on the same snaffle rein I was before. But now I have gained much, much more control over the horse because I can control his feet better. I can tell him to move that 45-degree angle. And he gets to jig to get the mental stress out of his system. 
but he still stay, gets to stay in control and not crash into his neighbors and get me banned from the fox hunt. Yeah, and that's such a good uh, that's such a good example of what to do when. Okay, we're in the midst of this event. I can't, there's no ramp, and I can take you and lunge you in. Um, we don't. No one's going to stop and wait for me to to canter circles in an open field for 15 minutes until you calm down. I've got to take control of the situation right now. And uh, one of the things I love doing on the trail, and you, most trails or outdoor places you'll have a little room, is I like to leg yield back and forth because. Yeah. Um you know, I can get my horse to uh, engage himself and use some of that extra energy, but uh, he's not going to run into the next horse. So, yeah. and I, of course, yeah. could go on about that for another three hours. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We when, when we start geeking out on training, we geek out in a bad way. So it is getting really close time to give our first guest, Mo, a holler. So let me go over here and find Mo's phone number. And because we're a one, two-woman show today, we're going to be calling Mo live on the air. I don't know if Mo knew that when we she signed up for this. But no, I did. actually specifically told her she wouldn't be live. So. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, we're going to call you five minutes before, and it's going to be fine. <laughs> Let's see if I get the number right. You know how hard it is to not say it out loud as I type it? Oh, yeah. I guess you wouldn't want to do that. But I, I do want to do it because I that's how I get it right, being dyslexic. That's one of the tools I use. Uh. I'm sure Mo would appreciate it if I didn't. So here we go. Let's add Mo to the call. Oh, I have to use the right keyboard. That's it. There we go. And Mo is ringing. And Mo has got a auditor question. She's an auditor. And she posted a question on the Facebook page. Is that how you found it? Yes. And now I can't find the actual question, so I'll just have to wait. I'm live on the air. Yes, you are. (laughs) Right now. Hi, Mo. Personally, I had for some reason dialed into the show, so I was like, "Oh, maybe I should be ready." (laughs) Hi. We got to talking, and you know how I said we'd call about five minutes before we we kind of mowed right over that time. So you're live. Great. It's kind of like, so this is some of the uh, background behind my question. It's kind of like the horse world, right? You got to be ready for the horse you have that day. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Okay. So what is your question? What is your training question? So my question is, it's kind of broad and it is, so, and that maybe I should back up a second. So obviously I listen to the show and I'm in the auditor room and there's so much great information. I would consider myself like an advanced beginner. And so sometimes I go out to ride and I think I've got all this great stuff I want to try to do, which is obviously there's no way you can do it all. So what is the one thing that you, you see Mary, like as a trainer, when people come in, what is the one thing you could do to be a more competent or maybe complete horse person? Um, well, I tell you what, the best thing to do that will make you the best horse person as quickly as possible. And not everyone has this resource is to ride a ton of strange horses, um, which (laughs) I probably wouldn't recommend if you're not a professional because, you know, it, and that's, that's wait, let's back up there. Strange does not, is not necessarily bad. (laughs) Different. Let's use the word different horses. Yeah. Yeah. As in. 
isn't foreign to me. I've never ridden this horse. And, I, you know, before I uh, started as a horse trainer, I rode my horse. And I was really good at riding my horse. Um, and my mule. I had a mule, too. Um, and it wasn't until I just climbed in a hundred different saddles of different horses. And I'm like, oh, what worked for that horse last week is not going to work for you. Um, and so obviously not everyone has a barn full of different horses with varying problems to get on. Uh, that's that's the best way. Also the most risky way because, but you learn quick because you hit the ground. And you're like, I should not have done that. I'm going <laughs> to... So, Trial by fire. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's just the best way. Um, so what I would say, if you, you've got one horse, um, you can only ride a couple of times a week, is I would I would set a goal um, for you and your horse. Like this, uh, this month or this year, I want to learn this. And when you have something that you're working on every day and it's not just, well, today we're going to try this and next week we're going to try this, um, you will learn how to start something uh, start to finish. And so that could be as simple as uh, I'm going to teach a side pass over a log this month. We're going to get really good at our side passing or we're going to get really good at working gates or um I really want to try uh, being good at this cowboy dressage pattern or this ranch riding pattern or this jump pattern. So I think having goals, having a plan that you can execute start to finish with your horse uh, will help you both uh, grow and develop together uh, in a way that's that's a little bit more efficient than just kind of trying to figure out what you're going to do every week. Right. I, I, that's, that's actually great advice. Cause I think that's, that's part of my problem is I, I have gotten to the point where I realize I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> and so there's so much out there that obviously is kind of exciting to, to do. Um, and, and, and actually it's funny. So the thing about riding different horses, cause what started the whole thing is, um, so right now I don't have a horse of my own, but I have a lesson horse that they basically lease to me because he's such a jerk. Nobody else wants to ride him, but he's a jerk and like a friendly stubborn, you have to do it exactly right, or I'm just not going to do it kind of way. Um, and recently they asked me to uh, start riding this other new horse at the barn, who's the total opposite. And so I sat on her the first time and I thought, oh, I thought I learned how to ride, but I've actually learned how to ride Jake, which Ooh, made me think, well, put what, that on you a know? t-shirt. <laughs> Yay, you. There's a lot of people that don't learn that for a long, long time. Yay. All right. <laughs> well, that's well, see, I'm better than I think. So, um, thank you. That was really, that was actually very helpful because it just made me realize how much I, I don't know, I guess, writing, um, Duchess, which is a horrible name for this little quarter horse, but they didn't ask me. Um, <laughs> how dare they? <laughs> I know. So rude. I, I just changed her name to Delilah and no one seems to have noticed. So that's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just made me realize that you know, I've gotten really good at riding Jake, but I want to be just a better horse person in general. So that's very helpful. That's such a great light bulb moment that you had that too many of us don't recognize for too long is we can become very good riders of a particular horse or of a particular type of horse. Mm -hmm. um, that was something that Beaker taught me when I got Beaker, having been a Western horse his whole life. And a ranch horse, not a show horse. I couldn't get him to do a lot of really basic things. And I want this horse has a lot of life experience. He's done a lot of things. He knows how to do this stuff. 
I'm just not doing mm-hmm. something right. So I had to go and do a lot of research and go, oh, the aids for X, Y, or Z are not at all what I'm using because I'm trying to do dressage with a horse that has been shoving cows around his whole life. So that's a great, a great opportunity. And don't discount um, if it's hard for you to find different horses to ride. Mm-hmm. Sitting on a different horse, even if it seems passive, is learning to ride different horses because when you're riding the horse, it's a two-way street. He's giving you feedback and you are giving him aids. So you have the opportunity to go for a trail ride or a hack with a friend, a neighbor, mm-hmm. uh, pay a fee, whatever. Don't discount those opportunities to become a better rider because even though you might be reasonably passive, you are learning things about what that horse does when you feel passive. I'm amazed whenever I occasionally will go on a rental trail ride, especially if we're on vacation and Glenn concedes to letting us do something horsey, we'll do a rental trail ride somewhere. (laughs) It is fun to sit on that horse uh, in his particular job and learn things from him and learn things about how I sit on him. So those are are Mm -hmm. small but fun. And another thing that you can do is frequently clinics situations have the ability to show up at the clinic and use one of their horses. So keep an oh, eye out for those see, learning I, opportunities. I did not know that. Yes. You see those quite a well, bit. And I'm You're actually, oh, okay, great. Because I'm actually also in the middle of relocating actually to kind of Mary's neck of the woods. I don't, I think Mary, you're a couple hours outside of Sugarland. Um, okay. So yeah. that's, I was thinking, like, I don't even know, like, how do I, and a couple of, oh, by the way, if you're not an auditor, you should be, because a couple of auditors in Texas, including Mary, uh, Tara and April, I think, have given me some great recommendations for places to look at barns, just to even start, maybe find a lease, something like that. And I thought, well, in the meantime, I don't want to lose what little ground I've gained, so what can I do? But yeah, I could easily jump on it. There's plenty of trail riding there, and um you know, maybe a clinic or something like that where I could borrow a horse so I could at least keep up with it. And and that might be a good way to maybe check out some new trainers and things too. Yeah. And even if, if you, um, you're, you know, you, you do get your own horse and you're bringing your own horse to a clinic, I always say just the hauling out and doing that for a weekend, it's like putting 30 days of riding on your horse and you, it, it's so much mm-hmm. because you're not just riding for like half an hour to an hour and then you're done. You're riding eight to 10 hours a day sometimes. And uh, you get so much done in such a short amount of time. Even just aside from the learning aspect of the clinic, just being on your horse that long and your horse getting that kind of experience for that long, it, it man, it, it really jumps your head really far. So yeah, any clinics you can find that look interesting, I definitely recommend. Okay. That's great. Well, thanks a lot for uh, being our, our guinea pig today, Mo. We appreciate it. No problem. I, I'm happy to guinea away. <laughs> <laughs> keep us up to keep keep us up to date on the latest, and uh, we'll see you again in the auditor's room. Okay, great. Thank you, ladies. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Oh, yay! And think. Speaking of thinking outside the box, she's such a good thinker too. I like that. Wanted to mention one of our sponsors today is Total Saddle Fit. And Joseph or over there at or Jason over at Total Saddle Fit, it thinks outside the box, and he's created this thing called the called the shoulder relief cinch, and it actually changes the position and angle of the billets, or I guess they call them latigo, 
Do you call a little latigo on a Western saddle? Or is it uh, yes. Is it a latigo? Yes. And it I prevents call it a the saddle tree from interfering with the horse's shoulders. And if your horse has what you think is a hard mouth, he might have some discomfort from the saddle. So keep that in mind. What happens is the center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove while the sides of the cinch are moved back a little bit. So they're about two inches behind the, where the horse's natural girth groove lies. And this brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground. And that reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward under the shoulders. Can you see a theme here? Shoulders. With, the horse, <laughs> with horses that have shoulder interference without the angled latigos, which does sometimes happen, it simply moves the latigos back and keeps the saddle away from the shoulders. And you can find out more, and you can make a purchase at totalsaddlefit.com. Dun, dun, dun. And I think we have time here uh, for a quick, I don't know if we can do this or not. We're going to get a quick one. Um, Megan Aline wrote in and wants some exercises to help loosen a horse's stuck shoulders. Do you have a top two? Oh, uh Mm, I don't know. Uh, so, so shoulders Surprise. are my favorite body uh, a body part to work, and because you can get so much fixed by working on the shoulders. Um, can you hear me? Okay, I can. Okay, I heard myself echoing, and then it sounded like uh, silence. You, so you I want to make sure you sound rich and knowledgeable. Excellent, excellent. I mean, that's pretty normal, but. Uh, <laughs> So, um, I do patterns, uh, to work on shoulders and I do patterns. Like I'll make a big clover leaf in my arena or like a, I call it a pinwheel exercise. Um, so what I do is I'm always going to bring my horse across the center. Um, so let's talk about clover leaf. So I'm going to have four big circles that I'm going to ride. Um, I'm going to start riding down the, uh, center of the arena. So you're going to ride down the center line and whichever way my horse is leaning, I'm going to go the opposite. So, um, if his shoulder is leaning to the left, I'm going to steer him right. So then I'm, so once I get to the end of the arena, steer him right. And I'm going to come, um, to the end, go right around the corner, down to the, down the fence to the center of the arena again. And this time I'll be crossing the arena on the uh, the the short center line, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so I come. Yep. Yes, cross the equator. I'm going to come across the center, and I'm going to ride as straight a line as I can. But inevitably, my horse will be leaning. Um, he might be leaning because he has a stiff shoulder, or because the barn is on one side, or whatever. Um, all I do, I don't get after him. I don't dig a spur in him. I just go the opposite way of where he wants to go. And you can ride this at the trot and the canter. At the canter, you'll either have to do some simple lead changes if you're going to change directions, or just stay going on the same direction of the same lead. So you're always going to Finish your little leaf of your clover. Come back across the center. You're always coming back across the center. And so you're going to use um, use this. It will help uh, get your horse steering much better, which is a shoulder exercise. Plus, your horse is going to learn, gosh, every time I think about going right, she wants to go left. Um, so he learns just to stay uh, under your hands in between your legs and it really is great to help your horse straighten up instead of bowing their shoulder one way or the other so that's a very simple exercise you can do that with a horse 
on as little as their third ride ever, um, but you can do it on your advanced horses as well. So for a short, easy exercise that almost anyone can do, uh, that would be my recommendation for shoulders, for stiff shoulders. Ta-da! Awesome. And may I point out, because I spend a lot more time teaching people than horses, this exercise is fantastic because it's dual purpose. Not only does it help the horse learn that, but as a rider, because you're tuned into where your horse is leaning left or right on his shoulders and you are promptly negating that lean because you're trying to go straight, you subconsciously are learning to ride your horse straighter because sometimes that lean in that shoulder is caused by the rider and it helps to make a straighter rider. So two gold stars for Mary. Woohoo! Yoo-hoo! And uh, with, with that, uh, we're going to play a little bit of Templeton Thompson. And when we come back, we're going to have some more listener questions. And then Chris T. Reigns. Caged in, need to get a little air so I can breathe again. Got a thirst in my heart, hunger in my eyes, need to satisfy my soul. Free my wild side, my wheels have been spinning like crazy in my head. Gotta get back to living before I forget. My sights are set where that green grass is. A good Start to get me up and I fence Yeah, 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 yeah Cause I need somewhere to run Somewhere to rock Fresh pair of wings And a long stretch of sky I've sat on these dreams I'm holding on tight Need a good strong tall and a horse that can fly yeah. Got a load on my back And a lot on my mind Yeah, the weight of this world Really gets me sometimes There's a freedom inside me I've been missing so much Gonna kick the gates wide open And live a big old cloud of dust To run, somewhere to rock A fresh pair of wings and a long stretch sky I've sat up these dreams, holding them tight Need a good strong tall wind And a horse that can Lies on the horizon Second star to the left Then straight on till morning Sunny somewhere to run Somewhere to run A fresh pair of 
world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. IceVibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the IceVibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, IceVibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. IceVibe. You can find out more details about IceVibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about IceVibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. Hey, welcome back. It's the once a month Mary Kitzmiller episode brought to you by Horseware. And Mary is here the second Thursday of every month. Welcome back. Glad to be back. Are Unless the, you were welcoming the audience and not me, but I'm well, still glad that to be that back. was that was a community welcome back. Is what that okay. was? Okay. Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> we have we have time before we give Christy a holler for another listener question. So, what do you have on the docket? Uh, so this kind of goes along the same shoulder and getting control of your horse uh, from Patty Puff teaching a horse to transition from two-handed to neck reining. And this is one of my very favorite things to teach because it was so challenging for so long. And then when I started having light bulbs go off, then I got really excited about teaching it. Um, and I would say the number one mistake people make, and this is my number one mistake, um, is thinking that... Um, you have to have a certain kind of bit to do it or that you have to wait to teach a horse to neck rein until they're old enough or they've had, you know, X, Y, Z type training. Um, I learned a lot about neck reining working for world-class reining trainers, go figure. Um, because, uh, when you show reining, most of the time you're going to be showing one handed in a bridle and you are showing at speed on a very complicated pattern that has large, fast circles, small, slow circles. You're spinning to the left and right. You're rolling back, you're sliding stops. Uh, you've got lead changes that you have to get, um, you know, at a full gallop, you have to lead change and go the other way. So those horses need to be able to ride with just this crazy amount of precision. 
So when we're training a horse, uh, uh, most of the time, the types of horses I was riding in these barns were for the NRHA Futurity, which is a three-year-old event, and you show that horse in the bridle one-handed. So you have two years to train the horse for this event, which seems like a long time, but it's really not. So you have to really, you can't just wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm going to start neck reining today with you. I teach it from the very, very beginning. As soon as I can, I start teaching that horse what it's like to ride around one handed. Um, So here's what I do. Uh, Long story short. Uh, When I first uh, am training these colts, I train them very simply. If I pick up the left rein, you go left. If I pick up the right rein, you go right. I do a lot of exercises like that clover leaf. I get them very soft and light with that right and left rein. And it's very simple. I pick up one rein at a time. Left rein means go left. Right rein means go right. I don't get too complicated with it. You don't have to tuck in your nose a certain way. Just if you feel that tug to the left, point your nose left, follow your nose. So then from there, what I do is I will start picking up both reins as if they were uh, one unit. So what I mean by that is if I'm, I'm getting ready to teach my horse this concept of an outside rein, I will lift and I want to go left. I'll lift both my hands up and I'll move both my hands left. So my left hand will be slightly to the left and giving a signal, a direct signal to that horse's mouth to go left. But my right hand is now also coming into play. I'm not really pulling on the right rein. I'm just kind of lifting and allowing them to feel that rein come across her neck, the horse's neck. And again, I don't, get overcomplicated about this. This is just a very simple steering exercise. I work on getting them to soften and lift their shoulder around their rib cage using other exercises. This one, I'm very simple. I, I want the horse's nose to be looking left. I want them to look in the direction they're going. But other than that, all I'm concerned with is when you feel that happen, my hands lift up and go to the left, do you go left? And I'll just, if they don't, I'll just sit there holding that light pressure, encouraging the horse to go forward until they find left. Now, how do they know they've done a good job is as soon as they do that, I lower my hands back down, give them a nice big loose rein on my pad. I might even let them stop and rest for a while, depending on how difficult it was for them to get that. And, you know, then I'll do the same thing to the right. I want to go to the right, lift both my hands up, bring them slightly to the right. And that introduces the horse, this concept of this extra rein coming into play. Now, when I first start this exercise, my direct rein is still doing most of the work. That outside rein is just kind of a presence there. But as you do this more and more, they're going to get used to this feeling of my hand lifts. They'll feel that rein cross their neck. Oh, okay. That means we're going to go right. So then I'll start loosening up my direct rein and letting the outside rein do more work. If they get really confused and they get all, you know, all inside out and they're going the wrong way or they're fighting the bit, I go back to my direct rein and say, it's okay. We're going this way. Let them find that answer that way. And you can start this really early. Um, I'll also do things with that horse where uh, I do a lot of circles on my reining horses. So that horse, after a while, they know we're going on a circle. They're not going to 
go off of that circle. So what I will do during a simple exercise like that is I'll start writing them one-handed on a circle, even if they have a snaffle bit or a hackamore on it, it doesn't matter. And they just get used to that feeling of cruising around one-handed. If they get confused, I can always pick up on two hands again and fix it and then go back to one hand. So that's how I begin to introduce um, the concept of a neck rein. I'll get more complicated later on where I want the horse's head and neck and body shaped in a certain way and their hip over here and their shoulder over here. But to start, I keep it that simple is I just start introducing that outside rein slowly over time. And pretty soon they get to where they just feel that signal of that rein cross over their mane and they go, oh yeah, okay, we're going right or we're going left. There we go. It sounds so simple when you say it. And then when you try to do it, <laughs> it, it, it for someone who is not a professional trainer it you do have to put on your patience hat from my point of view you don't want to get frustrated and that's a really common trap that we fall into as as, as backyard trainers or amateur owner trainers is we try something three or four times and then we get frustrated and lose track of what we're really saying to the horse. We think we're saying one thing with our aids and we're saying something else. So I love that you kept that really straightforward, really simple. Use a an exercise or a pattern that the horse is familiar with and you only change one ingredient at a time. You don't just all of a sudden start laying that rein across his neck and creating a lot of tension on the outside rein that he goes, well, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, from uh, I learned by doing it incorrectly, I would wait till I'd been on the horse a year riding in the snaffle. And I'm like, oh, no, you're a three-year-old this year. You have to show one-handed for this particular event that I was training them for. And then I would say, okay, we're neck reining today. And I'd run across so many problems because that horse had never been given any clue that we might do this one day. So this was my failing the horse as a trainer. What I learned training these very sensitive, very athletic, um, very smart baby horses is you do your best training by sneaking it in there. Um, so I don't, yeah, just, little yeah, just yeah. like, Hey, today you're going to feel a little bit of rain on your neck and it's not a big deal. We don't have to get it done perfect today, but you're just gonna, I just sneak it in there every day, a little bit more and a little bit more. And by the time we're actually doing it, the horse is like, Oh, we're riding one handed. Oh, how about that? <laughs> yeah. That's how it should go. There we go. Well, I think it's getting to be about time of day that we're going to give Christy a call. On the old telephone. Sounds good. All right. Let's ring her up. We'll surprise Christy. Yeah, and I totally forgot because it's just you. There's not someone there calling them and getting them ready. So it's a, it's they're a in the two, hot seat today. It's a two-woman show today. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Hi, right, this is Christy. Oh, we can barely hear you, Christy. Talk louder. Okay. Oh, yay. Hi, Christy. You're on the air with Mary and Jen on Horses in the Morning. And uh, just wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh, cowboy dressage and uh, what you do. Um, so you are a Pirelli four-star professional. Is that correct? That's right. Good morning. Good morning. Um, 
So you're a preferably four-star professional, and uh, I noticed, yeah. we're friends on Facebook, I noticed that you've been getting involved in Cowboy Dressage. Um, tell us a little bit about Cowboy right. Dressage and what led you to it. Well, I love to learn, and I love to do lots of different things with horses. And about 12 years ago, I was taking a series of clinics with Jack Brainerd, and he teamed up with Aton, and they had started Western Dressage. I took some lessons from Aton, and then they broke off and started Cowboy Dressage because they wanted to add some fun things to it. Um, I love Cowboy Dressage because, like Pirelli, it puts the partnership with the horse first. Over They, they instruct their judges to uh, mark partnership and harmony and soft feel higher than things like fancy movements and you know, flashy gates. I really like the partnership aspect. Plus, it's fun. In Cowboy Dressage, they have the open court and they have the challenge court. And in the challenge court, they add trail obstacles to the dressage arena, which makes it fun for the rider. It's more of a challenge to get the precision of riding through the obstacles. And the obstacles are brilliant. They're set up to help you if you ride around these obstacles, through these cones, over these poles. gives you the size of a 10-meter circle. Or if you go through these obstacles, it gives you the size and shape of a 20-meter circle. Now, I tell you what, before that, you, know, you would, I would be hard-pressed to go ride a 10-meter circle. <laughs> I think a lot of us, if you just said go ride a 10-meter circle, would have a hard time doing it. Uh, Especially like for us Western riders. Um, you know, when when you say meters, I'm like, I have no idea what a meter is. And my first challenge right. court I did, exactly. yeah, if if you go between this pole and this pole and you go between this cone and this cone, you've ridden your circle. Yeah. And it kind of, it helps put together right. with, along with the letters in a traditional dressage court, what your circle is going to be. It's it's pretty, pretty smart. It is. And they, and they set their grid up on five meters. Uh, distances instead of in I think regular dressage it's something like 6 and 12 and 8 and 16 meter distances so in cowboy dressage the markers line up with the size of your circle which makes it much easier but, and the other thing that's fun for the horse the horses like the, the obstacles it gives them a purpose instead of just riding around in a blank arena so it makes it fun for the human and the horse and we have an address. We we get listener questions in, and I was reading through a bunch of them over the break. And a, a lot of the questions have the theme of how do I, my horse is bored doing circles. It's cold out. We can't do anything but riding. Right. What do we do? And that's a really good one right there is you're not only doing obstacle work, which is just endlessly fun for horses most of the time, Um but you've got a purpose. Mm-hmm. If you do these obstacles, right. uh, you know, you're teaching, especially the one, the one that I get screwed up on is backing around a corner and you have to back through yeah. obstacles and your horse has to have, you know, beautiful shape to them. So I really love this event. Right. And one of the things that made me go, oh my gosh, this is a bit different is I showed up to a show a couple of years ago at Craig Johnson's place. Um, and oh, yeah. Yeah, and and I, it was the first show I've been to in a long, long time, if ever, where if you looked at the horse that was in the show pen 
and you looked at the warm-up arena, you couldn't tell a difference between the rides. There's so many shows, I'm oh. sorry to say, where you see someone who's as pretty and quiet as they can be with their horse in the show pin being judged, but you look at the warm-up right. pin and they've got different equipment on their horse, they're getting after their horse. Right. Um, and in this particular show, the Cowboy Dressage show, I was like, wow, they're just soft everywhere. So I thought that was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Um, yeah, it so, really is. That is oh, so yeah. And I noticed on your Facebook, actually, that uh, so they've they've been really innovative in adding things to that make they use what makes traditional trissage so wonderful for training. But they've been adding things that um, some of them are, are kind of have a Western flair and some of them are just kind of really creative by themselves. Um, but there's going to be a Liberty division uh, that they're going to start doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell us a little um, bit about what that's going to be. Um, the Liberty Division is on the challenge, the half court, so it'll be half the size. But they'll, you can have an open court or you can have the challenge court, which has all the obstacles. But it's so much fun because you have really have to have a partnership with your horse to be able to have them partner up with you at Liberty. Nothing on them. And it's for safety they have, you start online and you have to get a 72 score online before you can go into the Liberty Division. And then the first, then there's a level one where you have the halter and lead rope on the horse, but you can't touch it. And you have to get 72 in that on four tests. And then you can do level two, which is just with the neck rope on the horse for safety, but you don't touch it. And then level three, you go in with nothing on the horse. But you have to really develop that partnership, the respect, and the trust, and get the horse to want to play with you, or they'll just leave. So, uh, a yeah. lot of people don't ride for one reason or another. You know, they've been hurt, or uh, maybe their horse is too young, or maybe maybe there are days when you just don't have time to saddle up the horse, and it's fun to just go out and play at Liberty. But the calendar size, I've played at Liberty for years with Pirelli, and I love it. It was fun because the cowboy dressage added a, an element of precision to it that we hadn't been doing before. You have to be precise to go through these obstacles. And you can do it for competition or not. A lot of Mustangs don't compete. They just do it for fun. But if you want the competition element, it's there too. So, um, some of us who ha may have shown Arabs or even mini horses in the past, when we think of Liberty, we think of you turn the horse loose in the arena and you chase it with plastic bags and the horse yes. that's the most right. animated. Right. So this is not that I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> can yeah. you give us an example yeah. of, yeah, the the, um, can you give us okay. an example so of the kind the of maneuvers? Solid. Yeah. Okay. So the, you, the horse follows you or walks, you know, horse walks and trots beside you, and eventually we'll also have and cantering to it. We don't have canter tests right now, but you you would do a, just like a dressage test. You, you know, maybe walk in, salute, stop and salute, back up four steps, trot off, uh, turn to the right, circle right, back around the corner, do a half turn on the haunches, trot off. Uh, Half turn, I'm going to trot over the poles, stop, going to turn on the forehand, half turn on forehand, a full turn on haunches. So it has to be very precise. The horse has to stay with you, has to go over these poles, through these cones, 
do a 10 meter circle, do a 20 meter circle. So it has a lot of precision and a challenge, which makes it fun. So if I wanted to start this with my horse, um, do you have resources available yet? Uh, or how, how would I go about uh, teaching my horse to do this so that I could come compete? Okay. Um, <clears throat> there are lots of clinicians all over the United States and in Europe and other parts of the world, too. Um, if you go on cowboydressageworld.com, there's all kinds of information, uh, become a, become a partner and there you can print up the test. Well, you can print up the partnership on the ground tests, which will be the ones we'll start with for Liberty. We don't have the official Liberty test printed yet, but if you'll pull up the partnership on the ground, which is online and start you know, with a halter and lead rope on your horse, um, and maybe contact some of the cowboy dressage clinicians. I'm one, but there are a lot of them all over the country. And we're glad to help you get started. Um, I have several cowboy dressage liberty clinics scheduled. I've got one in two weeks and several in March. Aton will be in Texas. In, uh, he's, well, he's doing several clinics around the country and in his place in California. He'll be doing one in April in texas okay april 27th and 28th so come to texas and learn from Aton himself there are lots of resources very cool very cool i have a mustang that i've been doing liberty with i think this will give us just another level to work on really excited about it um and if people want to learn more about you uh where can we find you online oh thank you um on facebook christy rains on facebook or my website is christyrains.com. There's no E in my name, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-R-A-I-N-S, christyrains.com. Got my schedule on there. So, And it's fun. I have actually taught cowboy dressage in Norway. <laughs> so it's Very cool. In America. Yeah, people all over the world are interested in cowboy dressage. Huh, how cool is that? I've actually taught Pirelli in so it's 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 really fun to meet horsemen from all over the world. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and, and explaining that to us. It's something that I've been kind of seeing on Facebook and I wanted to know a little bit more about it and thought it would be very interesting for our listeners. Um, so thank you once again. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully I'll see you at a clinic. Good. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. How cool. I didn't know there was such a thing. And that's uh, now that's interesting. Let me clarify here that when she talked about um, having to get a 72% online, she meant that there's a system where you can video your test and then you submit it and it's judged online so that you don't have to travel to a show. Is that, did I get that oh. right? I actually took it to mean you have to have a halter and lead rope on your horse and you have to be able to score a 72% using the halter and lead rope before they would let you turn your horse loose. Oh, Ooh, I'll have to double check. Oh, yeah. Now we have more questions. Oh, okay. We'll just have to rebook her. Because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> I know that uh, certain... 
disciplines have online competitions. I know the Horse Agility Association has on their competitions for the most part are online. You just video it and then they judge it that way. So see, now we're going to have to have her back on and answer more questions. I know. I know. Yeah, it seems. And, you know, that kind of goes back into the whole groundwork. Um, I am, you I, when I started doing groundwork, I was actually coming from an English background myself and all I knew how to do was lunge until my horse was tired. And the problem with that is my horse was a Morgan. They're bred to they work in the field. They don't get tired. No. Never. The, no. They're <laughs> bred to work in the field all day and then win races at night and then do it all again the next day. Um, so I just got her super fit and snorty. Um <laughs> So lunging did not work. And I, what, what led me to utilize groundwork to its full advantage was precision, not just run, run around. That only works if your horse is really fat and out of shape, um, you know, getting them tired of work the first time. And the next week you're going to have to lunge them for half an hour. And then the next week it's an hour. Yeah. And then pretty soon you have to show up at the horse show three weeks in <laughs> advance to start lunging your horse. So, so I think this is another way. And for the auditors that ask questions about, Oh, my horse gets bored. You know, if you're working on not just getting your horse warmed up on the ground, you know, teach him to back circles and to side pass and to stay with you and to stay with you on a loose lead. And then when you feel uh, up to it, take off the lead rope and see what you got in a secure area with good footing, I would recommend. Yes, I, yeah, preferably not in the barnyard when there's six, uh, six Girl Scouts grooming a pony. Yeah. 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 Don't do it in like the barn aisle or anything. That's not, <laughs> and this, not, not smart. That, that brings to mind something else. Try to take a very clear and honest look at your horse's personality type. Some horses thrive on repetition. In other words, they've learned a skill and they thrive on doing that same skill the same way again and again and again. Other horses thrive on variety. They learn a skill but if they have to repeat that same skill the same way more than a couple of times, they start inventing ways to make it different. Yeah? So yeah. a horse that seems to be bored in his work, you might be using the one that isn't his favorite. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It actually kind of reminds me, I was talking to this really well-known trick t trainer, um, Tommy Turvey, and he does shows all over the country and his horses are in movies and TV and stuff. And he said that the kind of horse that are the horses that are great trick horses are not the super smart ones that are anticipating your every move because you do that show, you know, he's got these very precise acts where at minute three, you're going to lay down and at minute four, you're going to play buck me off. And then, then you're going to jump on f over fire after we do this and this and this and this. And so if you have like a super, like I would say more of your warm blooded thoroughbred type horses that are just always like, what's the next move? What are we doing now? That horse would, get crazy doing something like that because and and he said that it it falls apart because that horse is like oh i know we're gonna lay down next so then they just start laying down yeah. too early. <laughs> it, so the kind of horses that make the best trick horses you'd think it'd be like the smartest most athletic yeah, the overachiever. Horse. yeah 
it's your kind of happy-go-lucky trail horses. They're like, I'm going to jump the fire again today. This is great. Where's my cookie? <laughs> I think it's another good example of you should know know what kind of horse you need <laughs> well, yeah. and know your horse well. Yeah, and, and you have to take off the rose-colored glasses because we all anthropomorphize our horses and make you know their personality is what we want it to be. And it's not always. So that's that's very interesting. That was such yeah. a fascinating conversation. All right. We have time for another listener question. What do you want to do? Oh, man. Okay. Let's look at these. Oh, okay. Here's a good one. And so it's it's a little bit uh, different topic. So we can get all our bases covered. This is from uh, Vicki Burlingston Arnold. I have a coming two-year-old. She doesn't tie very well. I don't want a horse that sets back. In the past, I studied Pirelli, Anderson, and Cox. I don't want to use the tie ring and teach her that it's okay to pull. Any suggestions? Ooh, good one. Okay. There's a lot of horses that yes. pull. A lot. Yes. <laughs> and common misconception on the tie ring. A lot of people are afraid to use it because it'll teach a horse that, oh, if I pull, it's okay. Um, I have... Let's let's, let's prerequisite that with what is a tie ring. Oh, yes. Okay. So there's there's a number of similar products out there. You've got what's called the blocker tie ring, um, which looks like half a snaffle bit. Um, There's one that I use that is my favorite and I swear by it. It's simply called the clip. And they both work on off the same concept of you just loop the lead rope through in a way to where if the horse sets back this ring will feed the horse slack. Um, so I use it with, you don't want to use it with like a super short eight foot lead rope because they pull back and then they're free. Uh, <laughs> and I don't use it on a horse that pulls back and then like, I don't tie them up and then go get lunch <laughs> back and they'll be free. Um, but I've, uh, so, so this works on if the horse pulls, it'll feed slack. If the horse flips over and falls down, they're not going to hang themselves or break their neck because it feeds slack. I I use these on trailers. Um, it is the best thing ever. I use this particular clip. My my good mule, Emmett, who's just the biggest steady Eddie of all time, greatest mule. He's been all over the country. Um, I tie everything with a clip. I had him tied in the trailer with a clip. And I went in the trailer to get him and just... A fluke thing he decided i'm backing off the trailer now and Uh-oh. he freaked out ran backwards off the trailer now if he had been tied hard and fast i would end up with a broken leg or arm and i know people that this has happened to on good broke horses you just never know or or emmett could have fallen down in the trailer and hung himself or hurt himself what happened he had a good long lead rope and this clip he backed completely off the trailer he was still tied up but he had slack. I was able to unclip him. I loaded his butt back in the trailer and made him work through that. But the important thing is we both lived. Yeah, um, yeah. So I personally love these. I don't, uh, they're not a sponsor. I don't sell them. It's not anything like that. Um, the, the, but maybe they should be hint, hint for those of you who, yeah. yeah. If you're listening you hear that the clip, if you're listening, um, <laughs> so, so I have had a few horses, and it happens more with the tiring than the clip, um, that figure out, oh, I can untie myself, and they'll play around with it. Oh, and, yeah. They're not or, They're not doing it because, okay, I am repeatedly afraid. They're doing it like, oh, I figured this puzzle out. Yes. Yeah. And it's usually geldings and studs. You know, yeah. I've seen studs that'll just the, – the tiring, they can flip the little snaffle bit thing and, and undo themselves. And Guthrie is the only horse I've had with the clip – 
he will just slowly back away and get enough slack that he can eat grass, but he'll keep himself tied up. So those types of horses are usually not a pullback problem. So those types of horses, I just tie up, you know, they're not freaking out. However, it does not teach a scared horse to that pulling back's okay. What it does do when a horse sets back, that horse is no longer learning. They're not in a position of learning. They are like, I'm going to die. I have to live. Lizard brain. They've got lizard brain. Yep. Exactly. They've gone to that primal spot in their mind where it's, they're not, they're not building any new, uh, any new neural pathways or anything. They're just like, I have to live. I'm going to die. Whatever I have to do. That will give them slack. And on those horses, nine times out of 10, most I've never had one where this hasn't worked. So 10 times out of 10, the horse goes, I need slack. The tyrant gives them slack and they go, oh, okay. Now, again, this is not the type of horse I've tied up and gone to lunch. I watch him. So he pulls back. What I do is I walk over there. I, I fix the slack, tie him back up again, and then I go sit and watch him again. And if it's a really bad horse, they'll pull back again. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll even have a little flag and kind of lightly wave the flag and say, why don't you just try it in front of me? Try pulling back, see what happens. So what always happens in my experience, and I've done this many, many times, the horse pulls back again, but not quite as far. They don't, you know, the first time they pulled 10 foot of rope out of there, and I've used a 14 foot lead rope on these. Um, so they pull 10 foot of rope out. I go and I fix it, tie them back up again. And then I stand back and wait this next time they freak out and pull back and they've only pulled five foot of rope. And then I go back and fix it again the next time, two feet. And then after a while, the horse just goes, ah, lick you, lick you, lick you. And usually after that, they're pretty good. And I will tie them. I do want to eventually get every horse used to being tied without a clip because sometimes it's just going to happen. If I ever sell the horse or I just don't have one on me, which has happened. um, So I will build to that. But on the horse that has a problem, um, this horse is convinced he will die if you tie him up. The clip or the, or the tie ring have been huge helps. And all it tells the horse is, you're not going to die. If you need slack, you can get it. And you build the horse's confidence up to where they're like, oh, okay, maybe I don't need slack. I can do this. And then you can actually tie them up. Um, now, if you're just, you hear all that and you're like, you know what? I still, don't, I don't want to spend the money or I had a bad experience with one or I just don't want to use it. Other things you can do, we, it's back to the groundwork. I really work on a lot of exercises where my horse comes forward off of a feel. So I will um, practice picking up that lead rope and letting the the halter pull behind their ears. And that's usually the spot when they feel that pulling behind their ears. They're like, oh, I can't handle it. A horse that sets back, usually I do that and they want to run backwards. And so I just keep encouraging them forward until they come forward. I do a lot of Picking up pressure on that halter, asking him forward. Picking up pressure, asking him forward. To I want to reprogram my horse and teach them, if you feel pressure, don't fight. Give to it. If you give to it, you'll be safe. So I do an awful lot of, of work with that. And uh, usually when I've done a round of groundwork with a horse, you know, I've worked with him for a couple of weeks. I can usually just tie them after that because they understand, okay, if I feel pressure, just give to it. And so those okay. are a yeah. couple of ideas. Now, yeah. there are two methods that I am familiar with that have been around for 
generations. You see them in, all in the uh, really old horse books. One of them is um, when you tie a horse so that he... Well, actually, there's three of them that come across my hand. What do you, what do you think about the inner tube method where you tie the horse, tie the inner tube to the wall and then tie the horse to the inner tube. I've never used um, it. So I don't have an opinion. I just know it's out there. I haven't either. And I know a lot of people and that's just how they do it. Um, so full disclosure, I haven't done it. So I can't testify to does it work? Does it not? Other than just what I've heard. Um, to me, I don't, the only thing I would have against that is if the horse pulls back, there's even if that inner tube stretches, they're still feeling an immense amount of pressure. So they don't get any relief. Um, but I know a lot of people who do it. So I can't really testify to that one. Another one that you're probably thinking of, because I have seen old illustrations of this, and Chris Cox actually showed me this one and it worked incredibly well. Is he took we we have this filly that we started that was like we had to back the trailer up to the round pin to start her. She was that wild and woolly. And after we'd we'd had her in this clinic for like three or four days, she was riding around really good. And he goes, Okay, now we're gonna tire. So I've done some groundwork with her and she's she knows, oh, if I feel pressure, I should go this way and give and all this. Um, and he took a, a long lead rope and he tied it around her belly right behind her elbows and he strung it through her front feet through, I believe the throat latch of her halter and then through the, the ring that's under their jaw. And he just tied her up. Like he didn't, he didn't put a special clip or anything. He just tied her up. And, um, instead of when she pulled, instead of it pulling on her face, which is very dangerous, uh, you know, it's a really sensitive part of their body and they can react violently, it pulled behind her elbows. And so what what she did was she kind of sat back very lightly, felt that pressure, stepped forward, and then she was like, lick you, lick you, lick you. And he goes, and she's broke to die. And uh, I've seen him. Yeah. Yeah. That's I've been a, it's a, that. it's a method that's been around for generations but I, I very rarely see it or actually hear people talking about using it. But it, it, from my point of view, having never used it, it kind of makes sense if it's done right. But I'm sure, just like everything else in the horse world, you can do it wrong. Yeah, and it's something that I haven't since practiced just because I was so unfamiliar with it and I have my clip, which is just my favorite thing. Um, it's one of the few kind of gimmicky looking things that I have in my barn and I use it and I swear by it and I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it actually does what it says. But um, I did get to see that up close in person on a horse that was really wild and wooly. Like I was riding her, but sometimes I still had to kind of like rope her to catch her in the pen. So <laughs> she was yep. still really wild. Yeah. And this is a horse that I knew had never been tied in her life. She rode loose in the trailer to get to the clinic. And so, you know, it was, I've never seen something work so quick where she was like, I'm going to pull. Oh, nope, I'm fine. I'm not going to pull. And I've seen people also do the, a similar thing to that where they took, I think they use like a tire inner tube as well. And they put it behind their neck and then yes, through the Yes, that hull. was the other one. They, the ones yeah. I've seen, they would use basically a bath towel. They had a different name for it because it was before, the illustration was from before bath towels were invented. But they just put a folded towel behind the horse's head where the where the uh, uh, 
headstall would be, and then they put big knots in it and attached a rope to the knots so that it could come together under their throat and then run it through the ring or the noseband of the halter so that when they created pressure against it, it was a very wide piece of toweling behind their head rather than the narrow headpiece of the halter. And I suppose that was the logic behind creating that in that the horse would have less of a panic response if it was that wide piece. Again, I have literally never seen or heard of anyone actually using it. I've just seen lots of illustrations. So, hey, listeners, if you've tried it, tell us about it. We don't know. (laughs) If it's got an old-timey illustration, you know it's good. (laughs) (laughs) It worked for somebody at least once. Yes. Yes, yes. we know that for a fact. We know it worked in the 1800s, so... Why not today? Why not today? So go find go find yourself a horse that doesn't like to tr- pull and an old bath towel and give it a go. <laughs> Preferably a horse you don't like. You know, like you can, you <laughs> the know, way I f- one you're not attached to. The way I figured, if it's an old bath towel, it's probably going to tear. I don't well, know. That's good. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. But there you go. So uh, that's the last question we have time for today. But thank you very very much. Mary, for stopping by again, second Thursday of every month and answering tons and tons of listener questions and introducing us to, in this case, Cowboy Dressage Liberty. Yeah, this was fun. I covered a lot of bases today. You you were across the map. Now, I'm going to try here on our our list here. Oh, there we go. Closing music. So, uh, well, you'll be back again the second Thursday of next month. Tomorrow is Friday, so tomorrow's really bad ads. Oh, oh good one. And, and tomorrow, Glenn is still not back from his trip to Welly World and hanging out with all the important folks. So Debbie Laux is going to be here, and she's going to be uh, hanging out with Jamie another all-girls day, and we'll have really bad ads and lots more fun. <laughs>